girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lassies, and those that don't prescribe to a gender. Welcome to the Pod of the Dragon podcast. This is our reaction pod for HBO's House of the Dragon episode four. This one was called King of the Narrow Sea. Is that right, Spencer? It was, yes. Okay, we uh, just watched it. I mean, literally, we just spent the hour watching it. Now we've hopped on to a quick reaction of the episode. Spencer, what did you think? Best episode yet of the show. Hands down. This was my first nine. It was wonderfully written. Absolutely great dialogue. Perfect pacing. Some absolutely almost artistically done framing and comparisons between characters. What came across as being a very unexpected exploration of women's medieval sexuality and how that's processed and understood among the people of the realm. And I wasn't expecting that, but it was great. And everything about it was just so confidently done that this... This is my easily the best episode yet of the show, and that's saying something. Wow. Okay. Hot. Spencer coming out hot here. It's very rare we get such positivity from you. Um, I'm going to say it's my least favorite episode of the season so far. I'm Look not, at the contrast. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> here's Just my, has to be. Here's my, look, everything you said is true. Everything you said about the episode is true. Here's my problem. Mm-hmm. What happened? Uh... A lot, practically. It just happened over the course of a single really? night, basically. Really? Did a lot really happen? For Rhaenyra? God, yes. I'm not sure a lot happened. I think that, like, she went out with Damon. The king found out about it. Did, like, Otto Damon, gets stripped. I mean, I think the most important thing that happens here is Otto gets stripped at hand. Did, Damon, Damon got exiled. Rhaenyra's <laughs> romance with both Damon and Kristen Cole bloomed in various ways. I mean, Damon gets exiled every second episode. That's not new news here. This one may stick. Uh, Otto got fired. We've got to see that Allison and Rhaenyra were trying to, in some ways, establish a friendship again. It actually had the hopes of it working before Allison fully assumed the queenly mask with respect to confrontation. We got to see Viserys actually display a level of competence and understanding as king that we previously hadn't reason necessarily to believe he was capable of. That he sees a lot more than we necessarily knew or had reason to know, but hasn't been willing to express it until now. Uh, We got to hear about further machinations with respect to the sea snake. We got a marriage alliance set forth to to finalize there. And yeah, in terms of just... In some ways, I almost appreciate that not as much happened, that it was just a day in the life of an exploration of how, particularly for two women, because we kept on jumping back and forth between Allison and Rhaenyra in terms of how they respectively had sexuality either forced upon them or expressed, had we, we got to see that in action. We got to see that explored in a way that we'd never have had previously in the books, and it's rare to see in television. I thought that was great. All Everything you said was true. You were just bored. It, yeah, I was a little bored. Not not a lot happened. Like I, I felt like the scenes in the pleasure house were too long. I think the contrasting scene of Renera, you know, with Sir Kristen Cole and Alicent with the king w- went on too long. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to see five to seven minutes of Renera having sex. Like I get it. She's having sex with Sir Kristen Cole. It t- I, I felt like not a lot was happening. I didn't have a problem with the fact that she was having sex with Sir Kristen Cole or what you know whatever the all of those plot points were relevant important plot points but this felt like 30 minute episodes stretched into 60 minutes for me. that's what it felt like for me i i think i think you i understand where you're coming from but i think you're completely off base i think they took their time with this and it led to some delightful little moments between characters and delightful moments for characters for actors to act in terms of their scenes the moments between Kristen cole and Rina, i thought were really well done for how much they paced it out 
for just almost the humor of it, the fun of it, the playfulness of it, and also just the very different motivations and feelings of the characters that's going about, going about it. We got to see his doubt, his second guessing, his constant war between him between uh, big Christian Cole and little Christian Cole in terms of what what they would do with respect to their actions. Whoa! We got to see Rhaenyra's uh, just playfulness as she's really kind of claiming this for herself and acting upon it. His own reticence in doing so before eventually going along with it. And they framed that along just the, the practical kind of funny thing of how long it would actually take a knight to get out of armor, which is something that's been joked about in The Song of Ice and Fire before. So that, that scene in terms of how it was played out, I thought was very, was very, very much almost like a teenage romance style that they were going for. And I thought they landed that well. As for Rhaenyra and Damon in the, in the Pleasure House, that had a lot of tension attached to it. It had a lot of... Well, we, we've, we've seen the two of them making eyes for more than a few episodes and possibly even before then. And seeing that kind, that tension come to a head in a way that I'm curious as to your thoughts about whether they were framing this, uh, what their intent with this. We know what happens in the books. We Well, we know various accounts of what happened in the books. How much... Yeah, we're going to do... By the way, we need to do a, a book-only section at the end here. Uh, I know we're for, for we're the longer doing, episode for the longer. No, no, no. We'll I want to do five minutes tonight because I, okay. I want to, I want to talk about what a main difference that I don't know. There's some book differences. I just want to discuss with the, you real quick. That the, I think would be interesting. There is definitely a distillation of the book that I didn't expect coming with respect to this episode. Yeah. That's what I kind of want to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I thought, I thought it was well portrayed and I think it's left in some ways effectively ambiguous to what, what role or intent Damon even necessarily had when he invited Rainier out that night. Because with Masaria coming in there at the end and her seemingly setting Otto Hightower in motion for what he did, it really leaves a lot of questions open for either intending to portray Damon's reasons for inviting her out, whether he had goals attached to it beyond just simply what you normally would, I suppose, when you're a Targaryen inviting your niece out to a brothel. Yeah, I mean, I guess. So let's talk about Masaria for a second. So Masaria... When Damon left Dragonstone, the I, I believe, I mean, it's what happened in the books. Uh, he sends her away. Um, he, he sends, sends Masari away. He, se- he sends her back to Elise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what she does not go to Elise, by the way, uh, she goes to King's Landing and she becomes basically the, the Varys. Yeah. She becomes the white worm. That's it. That's her. That's her title. I'm glad they use that. But mm-hmm. she like you can make a comparison to what we saw in the main series with Varys. Right. That she's kind of so, yeah. she's kind of that like she's becoming that's why she, she made a point of explaining to Damon like I'm not really a whore anymore like I trade on information and by the way this information is really helpful uh, thank you for that you can pay for the room on the way out and uh, that's kind of going to be her new role going forward and so she's no longer Damon's like mistress whore whatever she's more now she's kind of graduated into a different role so that's just something in, in case people were confused about that here's what here's what i'll say here's what i'll say yes they did slow things down yes they allowed everything you're saying is right i guess my concern is that like when you look at the rest of this season they have flown through some things i'm i'm a little i just don't understand why when you choose to slow down it's about sexuality like if we're gonna like Okay, we're going to slow everything down, but it, we're going to slow it down around sex. We're not going to slow it down around, like, I don't know, the 15 years or whatever you just portrayed just just flew through in three episodes. Or the War in the Stepstones, which, by the way, they could have taken a lot longer to explain, to break sure. down. I don't know why when we slow down, we slow down on sex. That would be my well, initial complaint. 
I would say that the central tension of this entire show is, the sec- is, is, is in some ways sexuality, more in the sense of gender, about what role women are allowed to have in this particular society versus that of men. That has been Rhaenyra's central tension going forward. It's been Allison's ambiguity in terms of what her role is, which was discussed several times in this episode. And I think we got to see one night of that with respect to this, of where Rhaenyra went out and did something that she tells her father about would have been no problem whatsoever if she was a guy. Yes. We, we straight up here, Viserys and Damon did this on a regular basis because they were Targaryen princes, and who would have told them no? And by the way, in the books, that it is portrayed that Targaryen princes especially on Dragonstone, somewhat in King's Landing, but especially on Dragonstone, there was this concept that Targaryens were closer to gods than men. And because that was actually believed by the people in Dragonstone, they would go out and just basically have sex with whoever. And there were a lot of men on Dragonstone who thought, I know this might sound fucking bizarre because it is that, that if you got married, that having a Targaryen prince come in and have sex with your wife before you did on your wedding night was an honor. Yeah. And they were, they liked that. Like they, well, they were, they thought like, man, I really lucked out because this guy came in here and had sex with my wife on my wedding night. That's what, that's the, that's the kind of like, that's the world that these guys were living in. So yeah, they probably did go out and just have all kinds of sex. Wouldn't Braveheart have been a very different film if Prima Noctua was, was, was portrayed that way. Yeah, yeah, where it was like, ah, come on in, this is great. Yeah, we're not going to start a war over this. Yeah, I, look, I'm not, the the episode was still a very good episode. It was just my least favorite because I feel like no, not a lot happened. They slowed everything down, and there was a little bit too much focus on the sex scenes and sexuality. Not that I'm against that. I, obviously, I'm not. I'm a Game of Thrones fan, for God's sakes. But it, <laughs> it, just, took, it just took a little long for me. Yeah, but I mean, let's, let's move on to... The, the, I think I've gotten my criticism apart across. Let's move on to a couple things that I found very fascinating in this episode. One thing, one thing, Spencer, what did you think about the, not, the dagger... This is the dagger that kills the Night King, right? Is this this the fucking da- dagger is, is what is it? Chekhov's gun slash yes. Mad Libs slash. It's the MacGuffin the at this point. To the, the, every, it's everything. Like yes. the fact that it actually has the, the, prince that was promised. the prophecy Legend. inscribed on, on the dagger. I felt like, what did you think of that? What did you think of that? Uh, uh, I feel like they are in some ways trying to retroactively justify that a lot of people found necessarily just that Arya and that dagger killing the Night King to be a little bit anticlimactic by now saying the dagger was everything. The dagger was the center of it all. The dagger is an ancient relic that came from old Valyria that had the prince that was promised mythos. Hell, fucking Rhaegar. He didn't get lost in the library. He just accidentally dropped that dagger into a fire, read it, and suddenly got inspired to go, you know, find Lyanna. It's the role that this dagger now had apparently in the mythos. I think it's getting a little bit much necessarily, but the scene was I thought so it was a little be- much too with the dagger. I really I, do. I, I th- again, I think they're may- maybe trying to overfix some- something that was admittedly a weakness previously. However, the scene was so wonderfully shot and the characters were so great between each other in terms of the dialogue and the acting. And it had such effectively build up to it of, you know, us as fans, the prince that was promised thing that we've, first heard about when Danny was wandering through, you know, the, uh, oh God, what was the name of the house that she was in where she got the, where she, where house she of the undying the, house of the undying where she, got, where she was getting the visions and saw the vision of, of Rhaegar that she didn't even know was freaking Rhaegar. Right. Yeah. He's it, yeah, it, with, with his life. Um, it, it, was, 
it was a heavy intake of breath during that scene. Now, again, they've just loaded the fucking world on top of this dagger at this point to, in a way that I feel is just at a certain point going to tip just from too much weight. But the moment itself, the scene itself, the acting itself was all immaculate. So I can't necessarily fault them too much other than the fact that they seem to be overcorrecting a possible problem in the past. Yeah, so I'm talking a lot about what I don't like in the episode. Let me talk about some things that I do like in the episode. So I do like the interplay between some characters. I I really enjoyed the fact that the king never felt, never asked, and I, I, I'm sorry if this feels like it's like a, a guy taking agency away from a woman. I really don't, I'm not trying to celebrate that. What I'm trying to celebrate is that I feel like it's so the, king, the king knew he knows his daughter better than he's letting on. And he knows like when, when Otto started in on this, he knew that was right up her alley, that this is something that she would do. And he believed Damon over her protestations about it, mm-hmm. even though, he, even though, it, too. even though, even though like, like one cool thing about how this is portrayed is like most things, the answer is somewhere in the middle, which is kind of cool because that, that's usually how these things are. One side saying this, one side saying this, the answer is somewhere in the middle. That's what it was this time. But that he then also had her back to the point of sending her the moon tea, which I, oh, you know, you, you could, oh, argue, that was a scene at the end. <laughs> you could argue that like, that's him like trying to protect the realm and this and that. But I, I and there, there's a lot of truth into that. I, I'm, sure. not, I'm not trying to discount that. Again, I'm not going to be like as articulate as I can. I, I could be because we're just doing this like I just watched the show. No. But I just got the impression it was a little bit of like dad taking care of you, too. Like I, there was there was some of that nestled in there, which I appreciated from the characters. I don't think that this whole thing is going to drive Renera and her father apart. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's going to drive them apart. No, I mean, I don't. I agree. I don't think it will. It was interesting to have him threaten in some ways that he would, though. Because we we had him straight up saying to characters that he should effectively disinherit her as a result of what happened. Which was well, that is absolute. So the idea that the king threatened to disinherit her is taken directly from the books. It is, and in the books, when he threatens to disinherit her, the very next moment she agrees to marry Lane or Valerian. And which that is, is exactly what happened what in the happened. show, yes. which was really cool that, that, that they were able to, as much as they were changing some things, that part lined up. I will say this, though. I don't think that they're doing a lot of, like, let me go back and try to correct some of the ills from Game of Thrones. Only because, like, it's Ryan Condal and George R. R. Martin who are basically running this thing. Neither one of no. them feel particularly wedded to season seven and eight of Game of Thrones. So I'm not sure that that's their intent. No, it's really all been about the friggin' dagger and about the prince that was promised theory. That's all the things that I've felt have been a little bit too much and a little bit too hammered in. And their purpose is largely to connect this show back to the other show. I That, that seems to be their goal. It just comes across as being so much at times, so much put on, so much weight assigned to even a central object... That it feels ham-handed. It feels it feels excessive rather than necessarily natural or realistic. I would say possible. So um, I like I liked that that felt like there was a little bit of dad like her dad being able to sort of read the situation, read her, know her a little better than she expected. Mm-hmm. I also really like this. People who don't haven't read the books, don't know this story, have been a little confused about why I've jumped on this podcast have been like, I am team black. I will forever be team black. It's a hundred percent certain. Like, let me just, let me just tell the audience a couple things I saw out of my queen this, this evening. Please tell us. A, 
she swears on her memory of her mother. Oh, I love uh, that. She tried to get out of this shit. She she's trying to get out of it. Look, the best. She's the fucking best. She knows that such a such a sort of I swear it on this yeah. and that is all horseshit anyway. You we saw that she's not particularly it, religious it, in it episode on two. It worked on Allison. I know. Line and it was she, beautiful. We, we sold to her perfectly. Beautiful to, to get Allison pulled in on this lie. And she's just like, she's willing to swear to anything you want her to swear on to get out of this situation. So I really enjoyed that for my queen. I also enjoyed that when when she said, All right, you got me, Dad. You got me. But I'll marry Lane or Valerian. But guess what you're going to do? Yeah. You're going to give yeah. this guy in North Carolina named Lee a moment to jump out of his fucking chair and cheer. <laughs> because Otto I'm going to make you get rid of Otto Hightower. So what? shout out to Renera for getting rid of Otto Hightower this, this evening. No, I really I mean, appreciate it. knocked it out of the park. We're going to talk about them volumes in the longer episode. Uh, I, I love the portrayal of her dad. Cause it, was, it was at times both frustrating, but also just revealing that he is not any man's fool. You know, everyone was kind of assuming that he was just put on and ignorant to events going on around him and was just surrounded by a nest of vipers. He's imminently aware of it. He just at times needs to shove to do what he need, what he knows needs to be that done. It seems like he doesn't care. I have a question for you, Spencer. Was he insinuating, A, that's the first question, and two, did he really believe that Otto had something to do with the death of the old king? Uh, well, it seemed like he was insinuating that Otto or his had, brother. Had, well, he had had had, had, uh, had something to do with uh, Viserys's father's death, um, who ruled ruled his hand. Balon, yes, Balon, Balon, Balon was his father. Yes, yes. Um, I, I'm not sure because he never went. He never went up to straight up declaring it. Not your He Never went any farther with, with with respect to it. But, but he, he sure like, insinuated it. He was seem, he was seemingly saying that you know get the hell out of Dodge or I'll accuse you. He was like he was almost like legging out of where man doesn't this look really coincidental that these happened right here. But it made me wonder has he been has Otto been serving as his hand this entire time with Viserys believing this? <sighs> That's where I'm, I'm doubting that Viserys actually believes this. He seemed to be just framing him as an opportunist or a guy that. You know, it was such a remarkable rise to power. We've given you everything, and you served loyally, only to now just let your interests get ahead and, and, and corrupt you. I think that's what he actually felt, but man, was it framed as if he was about to accuse him of murdering his dad. Yeah, that's. it was weird that he went that route, right? Because in reality, what he could have said is just, you have a vested interest in Aegon, and I can't trust you to be, you know, to to be impartial to my heir and therefore you got to go. Like, I feel like that's a totally reasonable reason to get rid of him as hands. I'm not sure why I had to bring the other thing into it. I also love how much it portrayed Otto Hightower as knowing that he was going a bit too far with this because we get to see several scenes of him receiving the information and just him alone, just processing. Oh God, I've got a hand grenade in my hands. The pin is already pulled. What the hell do I do with this? And how do I set it up? So we got to see in the last episode that certain, maybe the speed to which Otto Hightower is acting is being set by his brother. That his brother's the one that's just pushing this to happen immediately and things to go faster than Otto may be comfortable with. And he almost seemed like Otto was aware this episode that this was a mistake for him to pull, the, for him to poke this particular wound, for him to push this particular thing. But he feels like, you know, he's no longer in control of the time frame for how things are going down. So he said, fuck it and went with it. And yeah, maybe as I, he expected, it blew up in his face. I don't. I, I think that the only way he could have 
it would have been very hard for him to give that information to Viserys and Viserys not to be angry at him. Yes. There's probably a way that. he could have done it, but yeah, he didn't do it particularly well. I, I, I don't know, but I, I'll just say this, that Renera got rid of Otto, so shout out. But I, you know, look, hey, let's not bury the lead here, folks. She has made an enemy. I mean, she had one, but she has made a hell of an enemy. And I don't know if you watched the next on, you know, I did not. The, um, well, it, the next on there's a, I mean, are you, you're willing to watch the of course, next yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a, a little brief moment where Otto is clearly meeting in secret with his daughter and he's telling her prepare Aegon to be King. Aegon will be King. So he's obviously like plotting and planning it, away from the, it, it, uh, if, away from King's landing. If anybody thinks for a second that the high towers are not going to high tower now that they're out of a formal position of power, you're a damn fool. Well, is, they're not right. Cause still the queen right so this we still have the high tower <laughs> contingent as, as we saw the queen has a title her power is debatable at best right but they're not gone is my point. yes they're like they're not completely gone from king's landing very much so they are they still have their agent in court they still have a hell of a lot of influence they still have a hell of a lot of power and now that they have lost some of those trappings they are still going to conspire all to hell behind the scenes and when we start, I think we, it was maybe even in a preview podcast, you had the great line where you were like, look, everything that they say, everything you want to say about Damon is true. All of it, every single bit of it. And mm-hmm. they are they are yanking us around with that character because last episode, the end of the last episode, the entire country was on up out of their chair cheering for Damon Targaryen. And I the guess warrior. now, I guess now he's like the villain of villains, right? I think everybody hates him now. So like, I really think they're just yanking this character around. But it, but it's what you said, which is all of it is true. I will say, however, I know, look, but it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. But he's always seemed to really like Renera. Like he he has not wavered in that. And I I don't know. I I did not. You kind of insinuated it a little bit in one of your comments earlier. I didn't take it that he was trying to um, set her up here. Set her up here. Uh, although although when he later on when he's talking to Viserys and he's like, well, I'll, I'll marry her now. I mean, who would have her sort of thing? That's a that's a moment from the book. Uh, completely pulled from the books. You could you could reasonably extrapolate that maybe he was trying to set yeah. her up but i i think that his concern care love for her is genuine i agree to the degree that that wars with his ambition is pointedly supposed to be subject to debate i mean as i said damon is like the seven aspects that are that are, that are embodying the faith of the seven he's like the avatar of all seven of those at the same time embodied in the same person that is how damon do his ambition is boundless, whatever the king thinks about that matter. His caring is also surprisingly deep as well. So I, we are meant to question to what degree Damon planned this out and then had second thoughts at the last second, and Mazaria just pushed it across the finish line as effectively as a favor to him. It's not clear. We don't know. I, I, I think we're meant to debate such. To what degree... It'll be interesting to see what Rhaenyra thinks about who actually started the rumor to Otto. Because she knows it happened. She, she was there. She experienced it. To what degree is she going to assign any blame to Damon over how the information got back to Otto Hightower? I, I've got to think the fact that it doesn't work out so well for Damon might play in his favor there. Uh, it didn't, this didn't work out well for anybody in this episode. Pretty much everybody lost... 
everybody thought they were in a position of power and then had it taken away from them to a certain degree. Oh, we didn't even talk about the start of this episode. How fun was it to see the the Blackwoods and the Brackens just throw down in, in, in terms of this? Uh, yeah, I know. Speed I know. And the young and the young boy won. That was kind of interesting. Uh, Blackwoods always win. So Blackwoods yeah. are the house to yeah, follow. He, he wasn't playing. Uh, I love how Rhaenyra just decides to leave instead of like trying to like get them to stop fighting. She just gets up and walks out. She's like, fuck this shit. Yeah. She's the best man. Rhaenyra is absolutely awesome. I like everything I'm seeing from her character. Um, Shall we, we talk your book spoilers? You said well, you wanted I, to have five minutes at the end. Yeah. I did want to say, what did, what did I want to say about Damon? Ah, it must not be important. Yeah. All right. Look, if you, um, thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate you joining us here. If you do not want to be bo- spoiled on things from the book or things that might happen later, please jump out now and we will talk to you probably like Tuesday night on a full recap of the episode. Okay. What you want right. to talk about, Ben? I'm here for Well, you. what I want to talk about is the fact that, so how they switch. So here's the thing. So effectively 50% of all the stories about what happened are true. And they just kind of smushed them all together. So you had, yeah, they kind of smushed everything together. Here's the big loser, right? Is lion is the, um, is break bones because like he was there. He stepped in for a second. Right. But it was break bones who like, so in one of the stories in the, because that's the thing, the book is told from multiple, like they basically say, three well, we don't know what happened, but here's three different accounts. Right. And one of the accounts is that, um, Renera went to a pleasure house with Damon and that mm-hmm. they did this often. It wasn't a one-off thing. They did this often. Yeah. And that one time, um, Prickbones she, is there. <laughs> she had been pleasuring her uncle, but not that hadn't had sex with him, but been pleasuring anyway, on her way out on leaving, um, she tries to have sex with Sir Chris Nicole and he says, no, he rebuffs her. And in her, uh, embarrassment and lust, she runs into break bones and break bones is the one that has sex with her and actually takes her quote, quote, takes Virginia hate that has sex with her for the first time. That that's one of the stories from the book, which it feels like they gave us a bit of a wink to that in terms of the fact that break bones is the one that's he ran it, into her. Yeah, that he ran, ran into her. He immediately recognized her and then kind of like, you know, this is our shared secret and let her go right now. Even saying off with your boy. Now, um, the main maester tell the main maester's account in Fire and Blood, mm-hmm. like the basically the most conservative like down the line, the actual history, um, the actual historian account. You're right. The, the maester, like, cause there's mushrooms and then mushroom the story. Account. Yeah. He said that she lost her virginity. So she had sex for the first time with Sir Kristen Cole. So yeah. in essence, what they're defaulting to is basically the most like kind of boring story of all of the three that you get on how this all went down. They defaulted to kind of the one that was the most boring, which was that, she just had sex with the guy standing out front of her, they, her, they her bedchamber. They certainly brought aspects of Mushroom's account, though, too, with respect to her being at the pleasure house with Damon and being with Damon to start. Now, Damon didn't teach her tricks to go try to pleasure Kristen Cole the way the Mushroom offered us, but he certainly did get her in the mood, get her hot and bothered to then go back to, to seduce Kristen Cole later. Right. And that and and that's kind of like a very super condensed version of what is implied in the books, which is that Damon sort of teaches her sexuality, gets her 
interested in it, experienced with it to a certain extent, and then kind of releases her onto Sir Kristen Cole, who is who she wanted the entire time anyway. But see, that's not... That's not what happened here. That's not what happened here. And that wasn't... Elements of it. And that wasn't Rhaenyra's intent either, right? Because they're kind of speeding this up a little bit. Because like in the book, Rhaenyra's intent the entire time is to seduce Sir Kristen Cole. Here, it seems like he's a consolation prize. Rhaenyra in the books is implied to have basically fallen in love with Kristen Cole at age seven when she first saw him joust and insisted to her father that he be, you know, her sworn knight and join the Kingsguard. And that it's just been a a steadily growing precocious crush since then. Now, they aged her up in this, there's been a flirtation. There has been killing a boar together, which I don't know about you. That's how I met my girlfriend. That's how we got together. So, uh, you know, that that's a very traditional yeah, way. A little Western animal Western. murder, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's how things go. Um, so they've been building it up. Well, maybe for that was self-defense. Maybe that wasn't murder. That was probably self-defense. I'd say by like the ninth time she stabbed it in the neck, we were starting to transition to a different form of, of recognizable slaughter. Um but they've been building up a certain degree of romance, but it was never as like directly implied as it is in the books that she's had a crush on him for all the moments she's known him. They, they've gone a different route. That they made this much more of she's effectively claiming her own sexuality. She is making this her own first experience by her own choice. In some ways, she's following her own father's prefix of pick who you wish, and she did. She just picked it along the way that she feels that a Targaryen ruler should be allowed to, regardless of the fact that she's a woman. I'm not sure she did pick, though, right? Because it seemed like she wanted Damon, and Damon pulled away from her. And then her consolation prize was Sir Kristen Cole. But a situation she was completely in control over, and the Kristen Cole was, at least at first, not entirely comfortable with. Sure. Why do you think Damon pulled away from her? It's, that is adding to the ambiguity of Damon's intent and why Damon did what he did. Because that has been part of, I don't think, any account that... No, that is, no, that is no, nowhere no, in the books does Damon no, pull away from her for, at any point. And nobody would ever write that account of Damon, of Damon doing that. That's not the aspect of, of Damon that people like to write down in the histories. It almost felt like he felt a certain degree of guilt associated That's with what, what it felt like, yeah. It felt like he felt bad about what he was now, doing. It's either guilt that you know, of what plans he's put her in the middle of, and he's regretting that he's you know started her down this way to basically sully her honor, it's regret that he feels that he's taking advantage of her to a certain degree. It's a regret of the circumstances that she means a lot more to him than just a fling and a here in a little brothel at this particular time. And there's a lot of different options to unpack this, but it seemed like he was regretting that particular moment and wanting to pull back from it. I, Damon apologist that I am, <laughs> run did, did believe that it felt to me like he felt he thought more of her. Than, than to be than, than that situation mm-hmm. um, that if they were in her bedchamber, he probably wouldn't have pulled away. But because of the situation, because it was her first time, the whole thing, it probably just felt wrong to him. And then he went off and proceeded to get so drunk. I mean, it is unbelievable how drunk this guy got because Damon is a drinker. Don't don't get it twisted. Professional this, man, drinker. this man drinks a lot. And he was so drunk the next morning he couldn't stand up in the in the red keep. Like, what did you drink, buddy? Like, give me a break, Damon. He I, I was I'll tell you this. I don't drink anymore. I used to drink. I was yelling at him. Like, get off, get up. Like your hangover isn't that bad. Like, get up. Man like, couldn't stand. He was yeah, the, so, when, so, when he was laying on the floor and the king was kicking him, it wasn't just because he was allowing it to happen. It's because he had no other choice in the matter. And so while there's a comedic element to that, I do think that maybe built into that is that 
if you want the narrative that he felt guilty about what had occurred, then he could have went off. He could have went off and guilt drinking. You know how that goes. I mean, that can get really sideways on people. Of course, yes, yes. Yeah, so maybe that's what occurred there. Uh, I think there's an element of drowning his sorrows attached with it, or even just trying to in some ways delete the memory associated with what what, what it was, too. How old is the actress Millie Alcott? Because they put her in some pretty fucking serious scenes. I'm curious to check this out. Do, 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 do. She is twenty-two. Okay, well then, yeah, we're good. Uh, yeah, because it was a uh, there was. <laughs> and they're not gonna film illegal content, dude. Well, not illegal, but like I, uh, you know, it was. I mean, with with uh, Maisie Williams, she was like eighteen when they filmed that, right? Eighteen, nineteen. I mean, she was very close. I didn't think Millie Alcock was quite as close as as Maisie was. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, it just, you know, it, it jumps off the screen because obviously two episodes ago she was supposed to be like 12 or whatever at the joust. So it's like, it's just tough how quick they did that and then jumped into the sexuality stuff. For me, that's that could be, it was a little hard to, to digest. Even though logically I know the story they were telling, she was certainly of age and, and the actress is of age. So it's really no problem. It's just, wow, it was just like two episodes ago she was a little girl. That's I, the only thing. I like that they're making the White Worm a more established character in her own right with her own objectives early. Because that, I mean, again, please, people, if you are not wanting book spoilers, for the love of God, leave. We're going to explore some yeah, of Yeah, please right go away. But White Worm's eventually going to betray Damon entirely. She's oh, 100%. going to utterly sell him down the river. And it, for me, at least, reading through it, it came across as a little bit jarring. They framed the two of them had their own lives in separation, but they hadn't necessarily made it a central plot point because she's She's there, but kind of secondary. So the fact they've made her in some ways a bigger character and well-established in her role of being a master of spies even before she gets an official title, I think it's going to make that feel a little bit more organic, particularly when she eventually just openly and blatantly sells Damon down the river. Yeah, she ends up being basically a green. I mean, she's like the master of whispers well, for Aegon. She's a, she's everybody's. I mean, she, she ultimately dies in service to Rhaenyra, essentially. In terms of giving her advice and then getting ripped apart by a fucking crowd, if I remember correctly. Um, so, do you think they're going to make Lainor gay? I, yes, I do. I think it's a key aspect of the character and a key aspect of his relationship with Rhaenyra that if they were to change it, would have a ripple effect that would be hard to get back into play. I think so, in, a- in the books, this is something I really appreciate about Rhaenyra and Lainor, both. Is that they both like Rhaenyra knows the fiction. Rhaenyra knows what Le- well, no, Rhaenyra knows what Lainor is, yes. and Lainor is pretty open about it. Like, I mean, he has like a, a lot of guys that he's very close with, and, and one in particular that he ends up having a very close relationship with. And so, at their wedding, uh, Rhaenyra takes her garter off, right, like the little the thing, and and gives it to Damon. <laughs> and Lainor laughs and takes one off that he had put on his own leg. And gives it to his boyfriend, and they have a big hoot, holler, and laugh about it, and everybody's high five it, and then they go off and they fuck whoever they want to. So it's basically exactly what Damon it's described. An open match, yes. But yeah, but it's like, you know, like Rhaenyra is pretty cool with him not even keeping up appearances, and from Jump Street allows Raynor to kind of yeah. continue to be himself. Because like on the wedding night, it's apparent to everyone what's going on. And they're just laughing about it. Well, it's apparent to everyone in Dragonstone where it's happening. 
Or now, the, she it, does... Dragonstone or Driftmark, actually, where the wedding occurs. I don't remember. It's Dragonstone. And they yeah. do go through the fiction that the children are his and Pu- all of that. Publicly, this is the this is the distinction I'm drawing. What happens in Dragonstone stays in Dragonstone. The opinion of the rest of the realm, though, they maintain appearances because it's important that they Well, do. they maintain appearances that the children are his children. Yes. And that's, that's what's important. Because they're otherwise... married and maintaining right. a relationship and that the... Her errors are unquestionable because that is a fundamental truth that can't be challenged. It's almost certainly a lie, but it's a truth they have to maintain for her to have any degree of legitimacy, for her children to have any degree of legitimacy. So that's just a little distinction I want to draw there about Dragonstone, you could do whatever the hell you want. It's fine. It's our domain. But outside of those bounds, the world needs to think that this is to at least a certain degree a normal marriage. But the yeah, so... It's important that the the children are perceived as legitimate, of course. But Rhaenyra's, but Rhaenyra's approach to Lenor is like just super fucking cool, like all the way around. It, I mean, she's like it'll be fun cool. To explore, she know. doesn't she doesn't like necessarily look down on him because he's gay. They have this like sort of understanding, and Lenor is a cool fucking dude. Like right. Lenor rules, and and we Lenor has been awesome so far in the show. Like we have no reason to dislike that character so far. As a matter of fact, my Sarah, my wife, uh, asked me. She's like. I really like Lenor. Am I allowed to like him? Because she's so scared of all these characters you're allowed now. To like Lenor. And, and I'm like, like, absolutely, you can like Lenor. Absolutely. And, and they're playing up a warrior side to Lenor that I never really picked up on in the books either. Lenor was kind of framed as being not as interested. He was a dragon rider, but he never, I don't remember him really taking as much active part in combat. And he practically, I believe, dies before the Dance of Dragons anyway, so he doesn't. Um, yes. But he was not involved in Damon's War that I remember. I don't remember. I don't remember Sea Smoke and him, you know, coming in to help destroy the crab eater, the crab feeders' forces. Not that there's so little about that. There's so it's little a few about pages. Yeah. yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else we should discuss in the spoiler section? No, I think we've, I think we've really covered it. There's more we can unpack when it comes to the episode about some changes that they made and whether we like them necessarily or not. I mean, we're going to have to vote with respect to this distillation what we feel about it. Um, but no, I. I they made changes, but the changes, the reasons they made them and the way they went about making them fit, came across as being very deft. And I think that they're going to work out well with respect to it. I am really glad they didn't do weeks and weeks of Damon and Renera flying on Dragonback to Dragonstone to, pr- to practice sex. Yeah, that, that. that seems absolutely that. gratuitous. I mean, it, uh, the episode to me seemed a little gratuitous anyway, but like that, that would have been way too much. I think it was still pretty tasteful, honestly. I mean, even even the nudity that was shown was mostly done in silhouette and artistic style with hair and perfect dive opposed to make sure nothing was perfectly visible. My problem's the emphasis, not not the execution. I the understand. Um, okay, this has been awesome. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, Spencer, for doing this. And we will be back with you probably in about two days to discuss the entire episode in great detail. And we will have a spoiler section on that as well, where we will do a more deep dive into the changes because there were some, there were a lot of changes here and we can, we can maybe take some time, study them and go beat by beat through them in our full recap on Tuesday. So thanks everybody for listening. Hope you have a great Monday and we will see you later in the week.